Chapter 6 of the Story of Young Abraham Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dina Rhodes. The Story of Young Abraham Lincoln by Wayne Whipple. Chapter 6 School Days Now and Then. Lincoln once wrote, in a letter to a friend, about his early teachers in Indiana. He, father, removed from Kentucky to what is now Spencer County, Indiana, in my eighth year. We reached our new home about the time the state came into the Union. It was a wild region, with many bears and other wild animals still in the woods. There I grew up. There were some schools, so-called, but no qualification was ever required of a teacher beside reading, writin' and cipherin' to the rule of three, simple proportion. If a straggler supposed to understand Latin happened to sojourn in the neighborhood, he was looked upon as a wizard. There was absolutely nothing to excite ambition for education. Abe's first teacher in Indiana, however, was Hazel Dorsey. The schoolhouse was built of rough, round logs. The chimney was made of poles, well covered with clay. The windows were spaces cut in the logs and covered with greased paper. But Abe was determined to learn. He and his sister thought nothing of walking four miles a day through snow, rain, and mud. Nat Grigsby, who afterward married the sister, spoke in glowing terms of Abe's few school days. He was always at school early and attended to his studies. He lost no time at home, and when not at work was at his books. He kept up his studies on Sunday and carried his books with him to work so that he might read when he rested from labor. Thomas Lincoln had no use for education, as he called it. It will spile the boy, he kept saying. He, the father, had got along better without going to school. And why should Abe have a better education than his father? He thought Abe's studious habits were due to pure laziness, just to get shit a-workin'. So whenever there was the slightest excuse, he took Abe out of school and set him to work at home or for one of the neighbors, while he himself went hunting or loafed about the house. This must have been very trying to a boy as hungry to learn as Abe Lincoln was. His new mother saw and sympathized with him, and in her quiet way managed to get the boy started to school, for a few weeks at most. For some reason Hazel Dorsey stopped keeping the school, and there was a long vacation for all the children. But a new man, Andrew Crawford, came and settled near Gentryville. Having nothing better to do at first, he was urged to reopen the school. One evening, Abe came in from his work, and his stepmother greeted him with, Another chance for you to go to school. Where? That man Crawford that moved in a while ago is to begin school next week, and two miles and back every day will be just about enough for you to walk to keep your legs limber. The tactful wife accomplished it somehow, and Abe started off to school with Nancy, and a light heart. A neighbor described him as he appeared in Crawford's school, as long, wiry, and strong, while his big feet and hands and the length of his legs and arms were out of all proportion to his small trunk and head. His complexion was swarthy, and his skin shriveled and yellow even then. He wore low shoes, buckskin breeches, linsey woolsey shirt, and a coonskin cap. The breeches hung close to his legs, but were far from meeting the tops of his shoes, exposing twelve inches of shin-bone, sharp, blue, and narrow. Yet, said Nat Grigsby, he was always in good health, never sick, 
and had an excellent constitution. Helping Kate Roby Spell Andrew Crawford must have been an unusual man, for he tried to teach manners in his backwoods school. Spelling was considered a great accomplishment. Abe shone as a speller in school and at the spelling matches. One day, evidently during a period when young Lincoln was kept from school to do some outside work for his father, he appeared at the window when the class in spelling was on the floor. The word defied was given out, and several pupils had misspelled it. Kate Roby, the pretty girl of the village, was stammering over it. D-E-F, said Kate. Then she hesitated over the next letter. Abe pointed to his eye and winked significantly. The girl took the hint and went on glibly, I-E-D, and went up head. I did it. There was a buck's head nailed over the schoolhouse door. It proved a temptation to young Lincoln, who was tall enough to reach it easily. One day the schoolmaster discovered that one horn was broken, and he demanded to know who had done the damage. There was silence and a general denial till Abe spoke up sturdily, I did it. I did not mean to do it, but I hung on it, and it broke. The other boys thought Abe was foolish to own up till he had to, but that was his way. It is doubtful if Abe Lincoln owned an arithmetic. He had a copy book made by himself, in which he entered tables of weights and measures and sums he had to do. Among these was a specimen of schoolboy doggerel. Abraham Lincoln, his hand and pen, he will be good, but God knows when. In another place he wrote some solemn reflections on the value of time. Time, what an empty vapor tis, and days how swift they are, swift as an Indian arrow, fly on like a shooting star. The present moment just is here, then slides away in haste, that we can never say they're ours, but only say they're past. As he grew older, his handwriting improved, and he was often asked to set copies for other boys to follow. In the book of a boy named Richardson, he wrote this prophetic couplet. Good boys who to their books apply will all be great men by and by. A Mother's Boy, His Food and Clothing Dennis Hanks related of his young companion, As far as food and clothing were concerned, the boy had plenty, such as it was, corn dodgers, bacon and game, some fish and wild fruits. We had very little wheat flour. The nearest mill was eighteen miles. A hoss mill it was, with a plug, old horse, pulling a beam around, and Abe used to say his dog could stand and eat the flour as fast as it was made, and then be ready for supper. For clothing he had jeans. He was grown before he wore all wool pants. It was a new country, and he was a raw boy, rather a bright and likely lad, but the big world seemed far ahead of him. We were all slow-going folks, but he had the stuff of greatness in him. He got his rare sense and sterling principles from both parents. But Abe's kindliness, humor, love of humanity, hatred of slavery, all came from his mother. I am free to say Abe was a mother's boy. Dennis used to like to tell of Abe's earliest ventures in the fields of literature. His first reading book was Webster's Speller. Then he got hold of a book. I can't recollect the name. It told about a feller, a nigger or suthin, that sailed a flatboat up to a rock, and the rock was magnetized, and drawed the nails out of his boat, and he got a duckin' or drowned it or suthin', I forget now. This book, of course, was the Arabian Nights. 
Abe would lay on the floor with a chair under his head and laugh over them stories by the hour. I told him they was likely lies from end to end, but he learned to read right well in them. His stock of books was small, but they were the right kind. The Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress, Aesop's Fables, Robinson Crusoe, A History of the United States, and The Statutes of Indiana. This last was a strange book for a boy to read, but Abe pored over it as eagerly as a lad today might read The Three Guardsmen or The Hound of the Baskervilles. He made notes of what he read with his turkey-buzzard pen and briar-root ink. If he did not have these handy, he would write with a piece of charcoal or the charred end of a stick on a board or on the underside of a chair or bench. He used the wooden fire shovel for a slate, shaving it off clean when both sides were full of figures. When he got hold of paper enough to make a copy-book, he would go about transferring his notes from boards, beams, undersides of the chairs and the table, and from all the queer places he had put them down, on the spur of the moment. Besides the books he had at hand, he borrowed all he could get, often walking many miles for a book until, as he once told a friend, he read through every book he had ever heard of in that country for a circuit of fifty miles, quite a circulating library. The Beginning of Love The thoughts of youth are long, long thoughts. It must have been about this time that the lad had the following experience, which he himself related to a legal friend, with his chair tilted back and his knees cocked up in the manner described by Cousin John Hanks. Did you ever write out a story in your mind? I did when I was a little codger. One day a wagon with a lady and two girls and a man broke down near us, and while they were fixing up, they cooked in our kitchen. The woman had books and read us stories, and they were the first of the kind I ever heard. I took a great fancy to one of the girls, and when they were gone, I thought of her a good deal. And one day, when I was sitting out in the sun by the house, I wrote out a story in my mind. I thought I took my father's horse and followed the wagon, and finally I found it, and they were surprised to see me. I talked with the girl and persuaded her to elope with me. And that night I put her on my horse and we started off across the prairie. After several hours we came to a camp, and when we rode up we found it was one we had left a few hours before and went in. The next night we tried again, and the same thing happened. The horse came back to the same place, and then we concluded we ought not to elope. I stayed until I had persuaded her father that he ought to give her to me. I always meant to write that story out and publish it, and I began once, but I concluded it was not much of a story but I think that was the beginning of love with me. How Abe Came to Own Weems's Life of Washington Abe's chief delight, if permitted to do so, was to lie in the shade of some inviting tree and read. He liked to lie on his stomach before the fire at night, and often read as long as this flickering light lasted. He sometimes took a book to bed to read as soon as the morning light began to come through the chinks between the logs beside his bed. He once placed a book between the logs to have it handy in the morning, and a storm came up and soaked it with dirty water from the mud-daubed mortar, plastered between the logs of the cabin. The book happened to be Weems's Life of Washington. Abe was in a sad dilemma. What could he say to the owner of the book, which he had borrowed from the meanest man in the neighborhood, Josiah Crawford, who was so unpopular that he went by the nickname of Old Blue Nose? The only course was to show the angry owner his precious volume, warped and stained as it was, and offer to do anything he could to repay him. Abe, said old Blue Nose, with blood-curdling friendliness, being as it's you, Abe, 
I won't be hard on you. You just come over and pull fodder for me, and the book is yours. All right, said Abe, his deep-set eyes twinkling in spite of himself at the thought of owning the story of the life of the greatest of heroes. How much fodder? Well, said old Josiah, that book's worth seventy-five cents at least. You can earn twenty-five cents a day. That will make three days. You come and pull all you can in three days, and you may have the book. That was an exorbitant price, even if the book were new, but Abe was at the old man's mercy. He realized this and made the best of a bad bargain. He cheerfully did the work for a man who was mean enough to take advantage of his misfortune. He comforted himself with the thought that he would be the owner of the precious life of Washington. Long afterward, in a speech before the New Jersey legislature, on his way to Washington to be inaugurated, like Washington, as President of the United States, he referred to this strange book. The Whole Truth and Nothing But the Truth One morning, on his way to work with an axe on his shoulder, his stepsister, Matilda Johnston, though forbidden by her mother to follow Abe, crept after him, and with a cat-like spring landed between his shoulders and pressed her sharp knees into the small of his back. Taken unawares, Abe staggered backward, and axe and girl fell to the ground together. The sharp implement cut her ankle badly, and mischievous Matilda shrieked with fright and pain when she saw the blood gushing from the wound. Young Lincoln tore a sleeve from his shirt to bandage the gash and bound up the ankle as well as he could. Then he tried to teach the still-sobbing girl a lesson. "'Tilda,' he said gently, "'I'm surprised. Why did you disobey, mother?' Matilda only wept silently, and the lad went on. "'What are you going to tell mother about it?' "'Tell her I did it with the axe,' sobbed the young girl. "'That will be the truth, too.' "'Yes,' said Abe severely. "'That's the truth, but not all the truth. "'You just tell the whole truth, Tilda, and trust Mother for the rest.' Matilda went limping home and told her mother the whole story, and the good woman was so sorry for her that, as the girl told Abe that evening, she didn't even scold me. Bounding a Thought North, South, east and west. Abe sometimes heard things in the simple conversation of friends that disturbed him because they seemed beyond his comprehension. He said of this, I remember how, when a child, I used to get irritated when anyone talked to me in a way I couldn't understand. I do not think I ever got angry with anything else in my life, but that always disturbed my temper, and has ever since. I can remember going to my little bedroom after hearing the neighbors talk of an evening with my father, and spending no small part of the night walking up and down, trying to make out what was the exact meaning of some of their, to me, dark sayings. I could not sleep, although I tried to, when I got on such a hunt for an idea, and when I thought I had got it, I was not satisfied until I had repeated it over and over, and had put in language plain enough, as I thought, for any boy I knew to comprehend. This was a kind of passion with me, and it has stuck by me, for I am never easy now when I am bounding a thought till I have bounded it east, and bounded it west, and bounded it north, and bounded it south. High Praise from His Stepmother Not long before her death, Mr. Herndon, Lincoln's law partner, called upon Mrs. Sarah Lincoln to collect material for a life of Lincoln he was preparing to write. This was the best of all the things she related of her illustrious stepson. I can say what scarcely one mother in a thousand can say. 
Abe never gave me a cross word or look, and never refused, in fact or appearance, to do anything I asked him. His mind and mine seemed to run together. I had a son, John, who was raised with Abe. Both were good boys, but I must say, both now being dead, that Abe was the best boy I ever saw or expect to see. Charity begins at home, and so do truth and honesty. Abraham Lincoln could not have become so popular all over the world on account of his honest kind-heartedness if he had not been loyal, obedient, and loving toward those at home. Popularity also begins at home. A mean, disagreeable, dishonest boy may become a king because he was to the manner born, but only a good, kind, honest man, considerate of others, can be elected President of the United States. End of chapter 6